Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. And I'd like to invite you to turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to begin when we do at verse 4. But first I'd like to reiterate a few things we said last Wednesday evening. We're talking about gems of beauty and truth. And what we're doing is sharing with you some chapters from the Bible that contain gems of beauty and truth. Life-changing gems. And you could view some of these statements made to us by God as a personal counseling session. You know, people today are looking for help. They're looking to people for help. They may be looking to you for help, but if you can't help them with the Word of God, then you don't have a whole lot of help that you're providing for them. We need to help people by getting them to turn to the Word of God to find out what God's Word says about their situation so that they could have the kind of help that they need that comes to them from God. We talked about the first gem as being that which provides courage and strength. And we found Joshua chapter 1. And we began sharing with you some verses of Scripture from that chapter that help us better understand how we can experience the strength of God in our lives and be encouraged. God told Joshua in that first chapter after he took over the leadership of Moses... He said, don't be discouraged. He said, but be encouraged. Be full of courage and be bold. Because as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. And as long as you walk in the light of my will for your life, no one will be able to successfully oppose you. Now, you have to understand that Joshua took over this leadership and he had some apprehensions about being in that office. And God spoke to him directly and said, be strong and be of good courage. Don't be dismayed. Don't be alarmed in your spirit. Don't be overcome by anxiety and fear. He said, don't lose your spiritual initiative through sudden fear or great perplexity. So you see, when you find yourself in a situation where maybe there's sudden fear or great perplexity and you're tempted to be full of anxiety... You can go to Joshua chapter 1 and you can remind yourself by looking at those verses of Scripture... That God said, be of good courage, be strong in the Lord. And as I was with Moses, as I was with Joshua, so will I be with you. I will help you. I will defend you. I will provide what is necessary for you to be successful over that which opposes you in this life. And you see, beloved, if we would take the time to meditate those verses of Scripture on our own, then we would be encouraged And we would be filled with His strength. For they that wait upon the Lord shall exchange strengths with Him. The second gem we found was from Psalm 91. And what a beautiful text. In that psalm we find that we can have protection and we can have guidance throughout this life. He's always going to be there to protect us and deliver us from the hand of the enemy. Whether it be in the nighttime or in the daytime, it doesn't matter. Our God will give His angels charge over our lives. And they will protect us and keep us in all of our ways and bear us up in their hands lest we dash our foot against a stone. We'll be so intimately acquainted with our Father as we set our love upon Him. He said He will deliver us. He said He will set us on high because we know His name. And when we call upon Him, He will answer us. He will be with us in trouble to deliver us and honor us. And with long life will He satisfy us and show or demonstrate to us His saving strength. What a tremendous gem of beauty and truth from Psalm 91. Because, beloved, we all need protection. Whether it be spiritually, emotionally, or physically, or in any area of life, we all need God's protective hand upon us. Amen. 
Thank God. Another one was found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. And in that chapter, we have a gem of beauty and truth that offers us a life that is fulfilled and full. As a matter of fact, we can be so full of the life of God if we just meditate those verses of Scripture that, as he said, that we'll go out with joy and in peace. And we'll be so full of God's joy and peace, so filled with God's life, that the mountains and the hills would break forth before us into singing, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. That's speaking of those, the redeemed of the Lord, that go forth in joy and in peace. But of course, there was a price to pay for that. We have to forsake our ways and thoughts and hook up to God's ways and thoughts. For He said, My ways and thoughts are much higher than yours. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and thoughts much higher than your thoughts. And that's a long way off, wouldn't you say? God is much wiser and smarter than I am. And I must recognize that and acknowledge that my thoughts and my ways are far inferior to God's ways and thoughts. And if I will choose to line up with His, then He said, I'll be full of joy and peace that enables me to go forth in such a way that I'm so full of the life of God that the mountains and hills will break forth into singing right before me. And you see, beloved, we've been emphasizing the fact that in Romans 8, 7, the Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God. And that means it is an active force of hostility and antagonism against the knowledge of God. God's knowledge is far superior to man's. And beloved, believe me, it's not an easy transition to make, but we've got to start thinking like God thinks and stop putting human reasoning above the thoughts of God. Why? Because it's enmity against God. It is an attitude of antagonism and ill will toward the knowledge of God and toward the thoughts of God. You see, God's way of thinking is much higher than ours. He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. For example... When Jesus spit and a blind man saw, that's confusing to the carnal mind, isn't it? I mean, there's no possible way that human spit can cause a blind man to see. Amen. But yet Jesus did that. God's ways and thoughts are much higher than ours. And we can go on and talk about many things that go beyond our human understanding. And then we talked about Ezekiel chapter 37. We found another gem. And this gem is really offered to those who have lost their hopes and dreams. There are a lot of people in life that have shattered hopes and shattered dreams. Experiencing difficulties in life that touch the very soul of their being. Maybe they experienced the tragic loss of a loved one the death of a young child, maybe they experienced problems in their business and lost their job, or maybe uh, they've gone through a divorce or are having problems in their marriage. And maybe just life didn't give them what they thought they would get out of life. And as a result, they find themselves downcast and downhearted and in despair, and they don't know what to do and which way to go and where to turn. God offers to us a chapter in the Bible that will counsel anyone and reveal to that person that God can revive their hopes and dreams. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, you know it as the chapter that reveals to us the valley of bones. And in that valley, we have nothing but death and desolation. The army of God was destroyed by the hand of the enemy. And as a result, there was nothing left but bones. And God spoke to the prophet and he said to the prophet Ezekiel, can these bones live? And the prophet said, only you know. You see, when man looks at a situation so desolate and so dark, in his own mind he says, there's nothing here but despair, death, shattered dreams and crushed hopes. God said, you speak to those bones. God said, you speak to the wind. And the prophet did what God said to do. And as a result, the end result was they came back alive. And there was a host of a living army full of life, vibrant, that went forth out of the valley of death and marched on. Now, I say it this way. If God can revive a dead army, He can revive your hopes and dreams. He can once again restore your relationship in marriage. He can once again 
bring to you the reality of your hopes and dreams, no matter what they are, what they might be. As long as you line up with Him and turn things over to Him and ask Him to breathe in the the breath of fresh life and new life into your situation, God can bring life out of death. And we know that Jesus did that for us, didn't He? Aren't you glad that He did? Praise God. So if you find yourself in a situation where you feel as though that you've lost sight of your hopes and dreams, you've lost your vision, review that chapter, meditate upon it. It's a gem of beauty and truth. You can see the mighty hand of God gloriously at work in bringing life out of death. And I'll tell you what, beloved, there's no more uh, desolate situation than that which was encountered there. Amen? Amen. Truly nothing is too difficult for our God. Isn't that right? Now I want you to find again Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. And here we have another chapter that reveals to us certain gems of beauty and truth. In this chapter, let me just say it this way. God's Word helps us find contentment. And every single one of us wants to find contentment in life. Now, I don't know about you, beloved, but I believe that God's Word was given to us so that we can experience its reality in a practical way in everyday life. Don't you? It's not just a book to be studied to say that I know something about the Word of God and become very religious in our beliefs having no application of these truths to our lives. It is a book of Revelation intended to touch the very heart and soul of the reader so that he applies these truths and principles to his life in a powerful way, in a practical way, enabling him to experience reality with God. I believe these truths are life-changing, and I believe that God wants to help us through the knowledge of His Word. As a matter of fact, I read somewhere in the Bible, somewhere in 1 Timothy, somewhere around chapter 2 and ver- or chapter 1, verse 4, 2 and verse 4, and it says this, God is not willing that anyone perish, but He wants all men to be saved and, saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. See, beloved, sometimes people are satisfied with just being saved, but He doesn't want people just to be saved. He wants them to be saved and to come Unto the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because Jesus said, If you continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Why does He want us to come to the knowledge of the truth? Because knowing the truth makes us free. Free from what? Anxiety, worry, fear, discontent. Right? He wants us to experience contentment in life. And so He provides for us once again another chapter inspired by the Spirit of God through the lips of the Apostle Paul. And He says, If you'll... Apply these principles to your life. Meditate upon these gems of beauty and truth. You will experience contentment in your life. Too often, beloved, people are trying to find some golden nugget from somebody else that's going to enable them to have peace and contentment in life. But we need to direct people into the Word of God because this is the greatest of all counselors. Jesus was the greatest of all teachers. And the Spirit of God inspired Paul to say these truths so that we can live by them. Amen? Amen. Well, let's allow God to help us. By taking these truths and applying them to our lives. Look at this verse. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In this chapter we find many gems, beloved, that once again can affect our lives in a positive way. And one is found right here. Christianity is not a gloomy religion at all. Christianity is a glorious reality. If you truly are washed in the blood, a born-again child of God, you have a reason to rejoice. You might wake up in the morning and you might say that everything around you has fallen apart. It seems like everything around you is, is absolutely going in the wrong direction and you're full of confusion. There's chaos all around you. Well, I want you to know you still have something to rejoice about. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, and I know that they affect us, they affect our emotions, you still have something to rejoice about. It says rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't say rejoice in your circumstance. Rejoice in the problems of life that you're encountering. It says rejoice in the Lord. And when you rise up in the morning, you can rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because if Jesus were to come today... I guarantee you all those things that you're talking about in this life that might be troubling you, 
they'll vanish away. You'll be out of here in the twinkling of an eye. You'll meet Jesus in the sky. You'll see Him face to face. You'll see your loved ones there. All that will be left behind. Your rejoicing is in the Lord. And again, Paul said, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Thank God I'm washed in the blood. I rejoice that I've been redeemed. I rejoice that I'm no longer under spiritual death. I rejoice that, my, that I'm not going to spend eternity in damnation, but I'll spend it in glory with my loving Father where He has a, a place provided for me in His house. I thank God and I do rejoice. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost and power and fire. I thank God I know who I am in Christ. And I know I'm an heir of God and a joiner with Jesus. I have something to rejoice about in the Lord. I thank God for the covenant that I have with Him. I rejoice that I am a, a, a member of the saints in light. I'm a member of the family of God. I'm a member of the royal family of heaven. I just rejoice tonight. That is something to rejoice about. See, if we rejoice in the Lord, if our focus is on Him, it will open up the door to peace and contentment. But if our focus is on all the situations of life and we don't include or incorporate Him and His power and His presence into our lives, then we won't think we have anything to rejoice about. If you're saved, you're far better off than the most prominent person who is alive on this earth who has the, the world with the fence around it without Christ. You have something to rejoice about. Amen? So he says right here, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So meditate that. If you find yourself in a situation of discontent, open up the door to contentment. He goes on to say in verse 6, be careful for nothing. In other, word, in other words, he says, let God take care of you. You know, beloved, in this day and age, it's difficult for people to learn how to let God take care of them because we so want to take care of ourselves. And as a result, we fail to learn how to let God take over in our lives. He says right here, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't allow anxiety or worry or fretting to consume you. But in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What a revelation. This is saying that God wants to get involved in my life. He wants to be a part of my affairs. He wants me to allow Him to take control of my problems and to work them out. That's exactly what God wants to do. But I must make my requests known to Him. He said... You have not because you ask not. Ask for what you want God to do for you. And then don't be so full of worry and anxiety because it will shut the door to God's intervention. He says, no, once you turn it over to God in prayer, and prayer is doing what? Taking your problem to God. He said, then offer thanksgiving. And what is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is bringing God into your problem so that He can work it out. And we gave you the illustration in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas were in prison. They prayed first. They took their problem to God. And before they ever saw any intervention, they began to sing praises to God, thanking Him, blessing Him, praising Him for His intervention before it ever happened, right? And when they were thanking God, what happened? The earth began to quake. Everyone's bands were loosed. Do you see that? God got involved as they praised and worshipped Him. And another... Uh, witness to that is found in Second Chronicles chapter 20 when Jehoshaphat sent out the praisers. He first prayed and he said to the Lord, we're having a problem. These people want to wipe us off the face of the earth. And God gave them instruction. They sent out the praisers. The praise team went out before them and as they began to worship God, when they worshiped God, it brought the presence of God into their problem and the enemy destroyed each other. And the people of God were set free. So you see, he is saying no matter what your situation is, rejoice in the Lord because He will hear your prayer. And don't be full of discontent because God is going to move on your behalf as you turn it over to Him, make your request known, and then thank Him, praise Him, magnify Him, and He'll manifest Himself and He'll work out the details. We hear the expression all the time, let go and let God, but sometimes we don't carry it out. 
We let go and then five minutes later we take it back. And God says, look, let go and give me more time to work out the details. Because sometimes I have to work with people and it doesn't happen instantaneously all the way, right? So in other words, you just go ahead and you turn it over to me and I'll begin to work out your problems as you thank me and praise me for what I'm doing in your life. And look at the next verse. What a wonderful verse. What a wonderful revelation. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall mount guard or garrison about your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? God's peace will mount guard over our hearts and minds. Obviously, there is a reason for this taking place because, you see, the enemy will try to bombard our minds with doubt and unbelief, trying to get us out of faith to make us think that God's not working for us. But he says God's peace will mount guard or garrison about, just like an army of soldiers will, will gather around you to protect your heart and your mind as you concentrate on Him and thank Him for what He is doing in your life. So as we worship Him and as we praise Him and as we bless Him for intervening and, and working out the details of a specific problem that we might have, He says, my peace then will accompany you. My peace then will encompass you. Notice it again in verse 7. It's the peace of God. It's the peace of God that will manifest. You open up the door to contentment as the peace of God falls upon you. So you let God take care of you. You let Him act on your behalf. You let Him work out your problems. And as He, do His peace, as he does, rather, His peace will come upon you. And then He says to do this. Finally, in verse 8. Finally, my brethren. And remember, this is like sitting down in a counseling session, talking to the Almighty as He reveals by His Spirit what we should do about situations that might be pressing in our lives, bringing anxiety or fretting or worry or fear or whatever, perplexity to our lives. He says, don't be, care be careful for nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't be full of anxiety. Be full of peace. And that's not an easy thing to, to carry out in your life, but beloved... This is what he's asking us to do. This is his instruction. And he says right here, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise. Now notice the next thing he says, think on these things. Now, beloved, if we want God's peace, we must think on things that are true, honest, just, pure, and lovely, and of good report. Did you hear that? If we want God's peace. See, every time you're tempted to be troubled in your emotions, full of anxiety, he said, think on things that are good, of good report, that are true, that are just, that are honest. Think on things that are pure. And as you do, as you do your part to think on these things, you will open up the door to God's peace. Now, how many of you will agree with me when you start thinking about the problems of life, the situations of life, when you think about the difficulties of life, when you think about just raising a family in the 90s and all that, and you allow your mind to be bombarded with all the statistics and all the facts that you hear on the radio, the television, and you read in a newspaper and all that, it opens up the door to heaviness in a person's life. You know, there are some young people saying today, I don't even want to raise a child in the 90s. The task just seems to be too difficult. And when a person thinks like that, his thinking faculties are overwhelmed with this pressure and this oppression. But he says, hey, don't think like that. You think about your God. You think about His divine intervention. You think about what He can do for you if you allow Him to act on your behalf and work out the details of your life and all the problems that you might encounter. Thank God He's on our side. Thank God He won't leave us nor forsake us. Thank God He'll never fail us. Thank God we can boldly say, God is my helper. I will not fear what life throws my way or deals to my life. Amen. And so he said, think. Now, if we're not going to think on these things, once again, we're not going to have his peace. But if we think on those things, we'll continue to have God's peace. Amen. Now, let's look at the verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The word here, content, is a Latin word that means held together. In other words, he doesn't come unglued. 
when he encounters a difficult situation in life. And how many of you know that Paul encountered many difficult situations? Oh, obviously. You read through the book of Acts and you find out that this man endured more persecution, amen, in his life than, than most people ever will. Amen. But yet he said, I have learned. Everybody say, I have learned. See, this isn't something that Paul didn't learn. He had to learn how to do this. And beloved, I believe that when we come to church, we should learn some things about how to handle life, how to deal with the problems of life, how to get God to intervene on our behalf, how to get Him move in a greater way in our lives. Paul says, I have learned uh, therewith to be content. He has learned that whatever state he is in, no matter what state, if he's abounding with, with blessings and riches, if he's in a state where, you know, he doesn't have much in this life, he says, it doesn't matter to me because I have learned how to hold myself together emotionally, spiritually, and in every way. He's not mixed up. He's not disorganized in his thoughts. His spirit and soul are in harmony, harmoniously working together in line with the Word and the will of God. And he learned how to do this. And once again, we see that happening when Paul and Silas were in prison. There was a time right there when Paul could have come unglued, wouldn't you say? But he didn't come unglued. He wasn't disorganized in his thoughts. He wasn't mixed up in his emotions. He said, it doesn't really matter whether or not I'm in prison or in a palace. Being fed from the king's table. No matter what my circumstance is, Paul said, I'm content. I'm independent. Of my circumstance. I'm going to, I want to say that again, saints of God, because this is a key word here. Paul was independent of the circumstance. In other words, the circumstance didn't dictate to what he believed about his God. He said, my God can help me whether I'm in the palace or the prison. It doesn't matter. And because I know that, he said, I am content. I'm full of peace. I'm at peace with myself. I'm at peace with my God. Isn't that wonderful? You see, beloved, sometimes when things are going well, it's easiest for us to forget about God. But Paul was saying he, he didn't do that. Because the good things that were happening in his life didn't distract him from the goodness of his God. He still knew he had to be dependent on God even if things were going well. Can you receive that? So it's not just in the hard places that we need, need to know how to be content. We need to know God in all the places of life. In verse 12, he said, once again, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to bound and to suffer need. So in other words, he's not dictated to by the circumstances. He is full of contentment. He is full of peace. And beloved, how valuable and how meaningful is this contentment in Paul's life? I don't know if you ever saw the next verse in this light. But beloved, he is saying right here, because I have learned this in my life, okay, how to be content in all things, whether abased or abounding in all blessings, it didn't matter. Whether in the palace or whether in the prison, it didn't matter. I've learned to be content in my Therefore, I can do all things through Christ. Because I have manifested the peace of God in my life, there accompanies that peace a consciousness of the power of God to deal with life circumstances. Boy, I like that, don't you? Because I have learned how to think on right things. Because I have learned how to take my problem to God in prayer and thank Him and through praise manifest His presence and have His peace abounding in my life, if I'm in the prison or the palace, it doesn't matter, I'm content, independent of the circumstance, and therefore, because of His presence and because of His peace, there was a, an awareness and a consciousness of the power of Christ. And he said in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now listen to that in the Amplified Bible. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses inner strength into me. That is, I am sufficient in Christ's 
sufficiency. Boy, I like that, don't you? What a gem of beauty and truth. What a golden nugget to live by. If you find yourself in a, in a situation where there's temptation for you to become unglued, like, so to speak, like we use today, I'm unglued. He's come unglued. She's about to come unglued. Don't. Stay full of peace and content because you know your God and because you know that He's right there. Take it to Him in prayer, through thanksgiving, realize His peace. You'll be conscious of His power and the strength of Christ will empower you. And what about verse 19 now in that same light? My goodness. And my God will liberally supply, fill to the full, your every need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, can you imagine if the body of Christ fed on that daily and lived in the reality of that? So he's saying it doesn't really matter what it is that you need in life. He is saying that your God will supply that which you need. Do you need spiritual strength for the day? Your God will supply it. Do you need direction and guidance for your life today? Your God will provide it. What do you need? Soundness of mind for today? Emotional peace? Your God will provide it. Amen? Whoso keepeth his mouth and his lips keepeth his soul from troubles, the Bible says. You put these words in your mouth and you'll keep your soul from troubles. Amen. So here we have another gem of beauty and truth. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. And if you find yourself in need, take it, meditate upon it, and let it speak to your heart. Now turn with me, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to use this last one for today. We have a few more to give to you, but we're going to take it slow. Is that okay? Just share a little bit at a time. Here we have another gem of beauty and truth found in Matthew chapter 5. And what it reveals to us is a blueprint for living. A blueprint for Christian living. Everyone needs that. We all. And it's very explicit in what is required for believers to experience great depth in joy or happiness in life. How many of you want great depth in joy and happiness in life? I mean, come on, beloved. In Christ there are riches untold. Amen. There is a joy unspeakable full of glory in Christ. And you know what? We should experience that depth of joy. Amen? Every single one of us should experience that great depth of joy in Christ Jesus. And here's how we can. Jesus reveals to us this wonderful truth in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, how we all can experience a blueprint for living and have great depth in joy. And seeing the multitudes, He went up into a mountain, verse 1, and when He was set... His disciples came unto Him, and He opened His mouth and taught them, saying... Now, once again, who is the teacher? Jesus. You could also say He is the Counselor. One name for Christ was He would be the Wonderful Counselor. Thank God, thank God, thank God. You know, whenever someone comes to me now, I can always refer him or her to the Wonderful Counselor. Oh, thank God, I don't have to come up with only any ideas of my own. I can just repeat His... Someone says, that's plagiarism. Well, thank God for it. <laughs> I mean, if we can't quote Christ, if we can't use the principles that He has uh, revealed to us, then what can we use to be successful in life? Right here, we can have a blueprint for a true Christian living. And beloved, it starts right here. As a matter of fact, if you look at it this way, it'll bless you. You'll never forget it. We have revealed to us in the first part of this chapter, attitudes called the Beatitudes. Attitudes called the Beatitudes, and these attitudes we are to live by. See, sometimes we want to blame God, and in actuality we should look at ourselves and say, is my attitude where it should be as a Christian, as a believer? And if I'm not experiencing the fullness of life that God wants me to have, could it be a problem in my attitude? Well, as we look over these, you can answer that question for yourself. First of all, we must maintain certain attitudes in order to experience the depth of life he's talking about. And here he said in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about those that are humble, those that are full of humility. Humility is an attitude that we maintain toward God. Never forget that. That's what humility is. Humility is referring to our attitude toward God. God is wiser and smarter than I am. God knows a whole lot more about life than I do. For example, 
before I come out here to preach behind this pulpit. I can come out here thinking I'm on my own because God has called me. He's anointed me. I've got to preach tonight. But if I don't spend some time in prayer before Him and study, then I'm going out there with the wrong attitude, thinking that I have the ability in myself to feed the flock of God. But, beloved, I don't. The Bible says that God equips those that He calls. God anoints those that He calls. And without His equipping and without His anointing, I am nothing because I can't with my own thoughts and with my own words pierce your hearts. But the Holy Ghost, if I allow Him through prayer and study of the Word of God to speak through my lips, He can take what I say and assimilate it to touch the life of every person in this place in a special way. Something that only the Spirit of God can do. I can't do that. And as I realize that and I say that to the Father and I humble myself before Him, then I know that He will empower me and give me those words that I need to speak so that hearts will be touched. So it's the attitude of humility that I must maintain before God. If you come out here thinking that I can play this instrument because of my natural abilities and you don't get on your face before God and say, Father God, anoint my hands to play. Anoint my lip and my mouth to, to, to play the horn or whatever the trumpet or whatever it is that you're playing. Or if you're singing, anoint my vocal cords. Then you're trying to do it on your own. And that's not humility. You humble yourself before God and you say, Father God, I thank you for the natural abilities that I have. But you know, apart from supernaturally enhancing those abilities with your mighty power and glory, I am nothing. I don't want to be heard without the anointing flowing through my music or through my song. He goes on to say, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's talking about those whose hearts are crying out for reality. Mourn, a depth of intercession of the Spirit, a crying out of the Spirit for reality. You see the world, you see the lost condition of the people, and your heart cries out for righteousness and for truth to prevail in people's lives. You hook up with God. You seek His face. You get His mind. You see people through compassionate eyes of love. And although they may be out there, and to you they look horrendous, because of the vow lies that they might be living, yet you see them through different eyes because of the Christ who lives in you. And your heart yearns and mourns for the condition that you see. And then you're empowered by God to make changes. And you will touch people's lives because of the power and presence of God that's in you. You'll be comforted as others come into the family. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meekness is an attitude toward man. The Bible says, go to your brother in the spirit of what? Meekness. See, that's your attitude toward your brother. Considering your brother. That's our attitude toward others, toward men upon the earth. Paul said, I don't consider myself better than anybody else. I consider myself to be less than least of all the saints. That was his attitude that he maintained. He esteemed others more highly than himself. And God is saying to us, we too must do this. We must maintain this attitude if we are going to experience the depth and quality of life that he wants us to have. We are here to serve men, not to be served by men. And he that will be greatest in the kingdom of God, let him first be the servant of all. We must learn to serve. Meekness. If my brother fails, I am not to criticize, condemn, or put him down. What am I to do? In the spirit of meekness, restore such an one. Considering myself and my own frame, I too am but a man. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's an attitude of the heart that is never satisfied with where he or she is at in God. I am not satisfied with what I have in God. I want more reality. I want to come into a clearer knowledge and understanding of His person, the wonders of His person, the greatness of His power, and identify with His suffering. He goes on to say, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Here is an attitude of mercy rather than that of judgment. Not being too quick to judge those that are around us, but be quick to offer mercy. Mercy is receiving something that, or not receiving something that we do deserve. It's not giving something to someone that they really deserve. If someone has wronged you, maybe they deserve a, a you know, a love tap in their head. That's what they deserve. But you don't give that to them, you give them what? 
mercy because under the merciful, God said, I will show myself to be merciful. And why do you extend mercy to that person who has wronged you? Because God will extend mercy to you. And I thank God He extended mercy to all of us here tonight and that's why we're saved. Amen? So He said, you be merciful and if you're merciful, praise God, you'll obtain mercy. Did you hear that? Don't, cross, don't blow up your own bridge that you have to cross. How many of you need mercy tonight? How many of you will need it tomorrow? Then show mercy and you'll get mercy. But to the froward, he said, he'll show himself to be froward. So show mercy. So these are attitudes called beatitudes that if we live by, we'll experience a greater depth and quality of life that God wants us to. Blessed are the peace, uh, verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When heart attitudes, motives, and desires are pure before God, in other words, untainted with human desire as far as human reasoning is concerned, but these are true desires from God that are pure. My attitude for doing what I do for you is pure. The pure in heart shall see God. Uh, how many of you want to see God at work in your life, in your ministry, in all that you do, in your marriage, in your family, with your children? You want to see God at work? Keep a pure heart before God. And as you do, you will see God at work. What an attitude to maintain. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now listen. The Bible says we are to, as much as it is in our power, live at peace with some men. No, all men. In other words, if it's in my power to live at peace with someone, I am to do so. And if I am that kind of a peacemaker, if I maintain that kind of an attitude, what does he say? You'll be called the children of God. Of God. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! What an attitude. What is this attitude? It's an attitude of rejoicing in persecution. Oh, beloved, in our society, we don't know the meaning of the word persecution. Paul was persecuted. The early saints were persecuted. They couldn't breathe out the name of Jesus without facing a, a, a beating or a whipping or a flogging or whatever. They ran off rejoicing, counting themselves so privileged to suffer shame for the name of Jesus, didn't they? We don't know that kind of persecution in this country. They were persecuted, but they rejoiced in persecution. That takes us back to rejoice in the Lord always, doesn't it? They were rejoicing, not that they were persecuted, but in the Lord they were rejoicing. So when persecuted rejoice and the spirit of glory, the Bible said, will rest upon you. What an attitude to maintain. Have you ever witnessed somebody and they just, I mean, just absolutely reduced you to nothing with their comments? You might walk away from that place downcast and downhearted. I'm going to tell you something right now. You're supposed to rejoice. But you understand, I preached to them the gospel. They didn't listen to me. That's all right. If they persecuted you, if they called you a, a Jesus freak, if they called you a fanatic, if they called you a lunatic or whatever they called you, it doesn't matter. Rejoice. You witnessed Jesus to that person. You sowed a seed that might remain with them until God gives the increase. Just rejoice. Don't respond by what you hear or to what you hear. Respond to what the Word said. They persecuted you for sharing Jesus but thank God for it because the Spirit of glory will rest upon you. And consider it a joy to suffer shame for the name of the one you love. Amen. Now, if you maintain these attitudes as revealed in the Beatitudes, what will that open the door to you becoming? The next verse tells you, you will be the salt of the earth. Hallelujah. You'll make the earth taste good. You'll preserve it. Salt preserves but also, salt makes thirsty. It makes one thirsty. When people contact you, you'll work as a preserving agent in the earth to, to hold back the judgment of God. And also, people will see you and they'll hunger and thirst for what you have. I've been there before. I saw somebody who knew something more about Jesus than I did when I first got saved and it caused me to thirst for what that person had. Oh, I mean to tell you, I wanted it. I could taste it. And I pursued it. And thank God I found more of Jesus in my life. You can make people thirst after the things of God because you're the salt of the earth. And what about this one? It goes on to say in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Have you ever considered that, beloved? Because of you maintaining the attitudes of the Beatitudes, you become the light of the world. You bring light to a world of darkness. 
You bring counsel to a world of confusion. You point the way, the truth, and the life to a world that knows not the way, the truth, or the life. Because of your attitudes, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, I don't know about this, if you're ready to hear this part of it or not. He is saying to have this quality of life is not an easy thing. It requires, on our part, something. What is that something that it requires? Are you ready for it? Conquering self. Go over to verse... We're not going to take the time to go through the whole chapter, but look at verse 27. You meditate this if you want to have a deeper quality of Christian life. You have heard that it was said... By them of old time thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And, that, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Cast it from thee. In other words, whatever hinders you. Any part of self that hinders you from experiencing the quality and the depth of life that Jesus said you can have, that makes you the salt of the earth and the light of the world, He said, sever yourself from it. How many of you know that conquering self is not an enjoyable task? Come on. One person does. How many of you know that? Whenever we talk about this, it does get usually quiet. Or should I say unusually quiet? Really Conquering self. In other words, let Christ increase and we have to decrease. Isn't that right? We have to conquer self. Cut off those things that prevent it from happening. And he lists some of the things. Don't let your eyes be given to adultery. Don't let your hands be reaching out for that which is not profitable. He goes on to talk about different things. But you read through it, you meditate upon it, and you'll, you'll find out that he is saying you've got to conquer yourself don't let self live. Don't let self rule. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Let Christ shine through you and through me. And if we will, we'll have a depth and quality of life that will make us the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And look, he goes on to say here that if we conquer self, we'll have this depth of happiness and joy. Our hearts will be flooded with, with the presence of God like we've never known before. There's something else we have to do, and it's revealed in verses 44 through 48. And, beloved, it probably represents one of life's most difficult inner struggles. We all encounter these struggles as a Christian in life. But if you want to be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect, you've got to do exactly what Jesus said here. In verse 44, you have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love... The, verse 43, I'm sorry, 43 first. Shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy... But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them, hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes the, maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He is saying, don't fight back against your enemies. Treat kindly those that mistreat you and there'll be great joy that you'll find in overcoming, overcoming in this area rather than experiencing taking pleasure in hostility or hatred or bitterness, or any other emotion toward your enemy. You know, beloved, I've lived that, and it's true. When someone is your enemy and someone wrongs you in any way, everything within our emotional makeup wants to lash out in defense and protection of our own lives. And we think by so doing, we're helping ourselves. But Jesus is saying, don't retaliate against your enemy. He said, love your enemy. Bless those that curse you. That means speak well of those that speak evil of you. Boy, is that a toughie? He said, do good to those that hate you. What about that one? It's easy to do good to those that do good to me. 
But he said, what about those that hate you? What an attitude to maintain. Listen, and pray for those that despitefully use and abuse and persecute you. Pray for them. In so doing, you'll pattern your life after your Father, which is in heaven. You'll be perfect or mature as your Father is in heaven. And the joy that you'll experience on the inside will far outbalance the pleasure seemingly some people take in hostility or bitterness. You'll have a joy in your heart. How many of you know that that is a strength and not a weakness? It's a weakness to bop the one that offends you in the nose with your fist. It's a strength to say, no, I won't, and offer the other cheek. Come on. That's not a weakness. That's a strength. That's what Jesus did. He openeth not his mouth. He didn't defend himself. He let God fight for him. And that's what he's calling upon us to do. Two gems of beauty and truth. Philippians 4, Matthew chapter 5. And if we'll live by them, meditate them, and all these golden nuggets of truth, I call them gems. Beloved, it'll revolutionize your life. It'll give you the quality of Christian life that you long for and desire. You'll have more of Him. Let's all stand together. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.